Hey Chaya fam, I am so excited to introduce Ashley Zara today. She is a dark pop singer-songwriter born and raised in LA. She left the West Coast to pursue her higher education in Boston at the prestigious Berklee College of Music and has since been featured on NPR's Buried Treasures, Buzz Music LA, Girl Talk HQ, Authority Magazine, and twice debuted on the world-renowned music editorial The Hype Magazine. An advocate for mental health, suicide prevention, and gender equality, Zara has often addressed these topics in relation to the Iranian community in numerous interviews. She is on a mission to teach and heal her generation to speak their truths and enjoy their lives rather than simply surviving them, proving to audiences that no pain is worth the disposal of a life. So Ashley, I am so excited <laughs> to have you here today. Thank hey. you so much for joining us. Of course. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I am really excited to talk about your album, which is coming out very soon and which is all about discovering your truth as you and many others are navigating their 20s. And it hits on themes of breakups, identity, loneliness, trauma, toxicity, family, and empowerment. And I had the wonderful chance to hear you perform live at a dinner <laughs> with strangers and listen to your music on Spotify many, many times and <laughs> on the internet. And I'm such a fan. And so I'm really, really excited to talk to you a little bit more deeply about this album and your journey as a Persian Jewish artist. And um, I know each song in this album sort of, s sort of starts out with some form of adamant denial and ends with admittance of reality and mm -hmm. the album itself as you say starts with a song that validates lying and ends with a song that worships honesty so <laughs> i love that evolution through your album and that journey and i'm just so excited to have you here today so with that very very long introduction <laughs> it was very <laughs> flattering <laughs> <laughs> um I just, you know, I want to hear a little bit more from you. What has it been like for you and your journey with being Persian Jewish and pursuing a career in music? It was hard. It was not easy. I mean, gosh, I feel like it's weird, too, because in our culture, we really idolize music. We love art. And we're mm -hmm. always talking about how, like, Persian art and Persian poetry and Persian musicians. Haide. Yes. <laughs> Haide. And, you know, Ostad Shajarian, who mm -hmm. we just lost and yeah. stuff. But it's it's so much part of our culture, and we, had, we take so much pride in it. Um, so when your daughter says she wants to be a musician or that she's even involved in the arts, in the beginning, like, when you're a kid, everyone's like, look... At my so wonderful true. daughter, yeah. She plays the piano. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, they take so much pride. They would just, like, show you around like a show pony. Like, she is an artist. Mm -hmm. But then as you get older, it becomes to be a hindrance. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like people are not going to accept my daughter if she's an artist. She's not going to be successful if she's an artist. No one's going to marry her because mm -hmm. she's an artist. So, um namely a musician there's something about that music has this I think especially for hmm, I was gonna say especially for uh our families that were that moved out of Iran but it actually might be for everyone there's this association that 
musicians are just involved with sex, drugs, and alcohol. Mm-hmm. And that's a very, I think all three of those are taboo <laughs> in <Yeah>. our culture. <laughs> so it was just like the epitome of all things yeah, that's evil. So interesting. Yeah. So, so when I was a kid, everyone was like, oh, this is a hobby of hers. And she's really good at it. And we will support that. But then as I got older, it started becoming like, okay, Ashley, remember, this is a hobby of yours. Mm -hmm. This is nothing that you can do seriously. Mm -hmm. And I spent many a countless night crying and just very upset being like, this is who I am. Why am I not accepted by my family? Like, that really sucks. And if I, I had so many conversations with God saying, like, if I could do something else, 100% I will. 100% because this is too hard. Mm-hmm. Everyone's fighting with me way too much because of what? Music? Really? Is that something to fight over? I feel like this is something to bring us together and that we love, but it's separating us. So if I can do something else, like, give it to me. I'm ready. But uh, he refused, <laughs> so, <laughs> which I think was good. I think that was a good decision. Um, and I kind of was killing time in high school. I, I did stuff that were musically involved. Um, and then when I went to college, which I didn't want to do because I was a straight A student. I had a great GPA, but I knew I wanted to do music. I was this closeted artist. Um, but I was like, I know my parents would kill me if I said, no, I don't want to go to college. So yeah. I kind of I killed some time going to a two-year college uh, in California, trying to figure out how I can do both. How can I pursue my passion, um, but also make everybody happy? And that's <laughs> impossible. And nearing the end of my two years, I kind of started secretly applying to some music schools. Nobody knew about it, which is... <laughs> very clandestine uh, but I got denied from USC I remember on my birthday oh, and God. I was like shit what a gift yeah I was like this <laughs> sucks and um USC Thornton's Thornton School of Music I don't know they mm-hmm. denied me I don't re- need to remember <laughs> what they were called but I was like if they don't want me why would Berkeley College of Music want me and mm-hmm. Berkeley is the number one contemporary music school in the world wow. so I was like fuck like this is just a sign and then about a few months later I got an acceptance letter from Berkeley wow. and I was like shit that was the first time I've never like been that patriotic with schools or anything like anytime we had stuff at Beverly or any of the other schools I was like fuck this this is like propaganda I'm (laughs) anti-government like it was (laughs) I was this anarchic kid um but I got this acceptance letter from Berkeley and I ran into the house crying I told my parents what happened and they're like that's great this is wonderful you're not going right (laughs) And I was shocked. I was just sincerely shocked because I'm like, how could I have gone this far, gotten the greatest validation that I could from one of the most prominent music institutions in the world, and my parents don't want me to go? Mm -hmm. That doesn't make sense to me. Like, they don't want me to thrive in that environment. And I remember that was, I think, the key moment where I just looked at my parents and I was like, I'm going. Mm -hmm. I literally said it to them. I was like, are you kidding me? I'm going. Mm -hmm. And it's very bizarre to have your daughter not only move out of the house, um, 
but move across the country. And so I flew to Boston and then that's kind of like where I got to be alone and shut out every person with an opinion and just <laughs> find Ashley Zara and figure out who she is. What does she like? What does she hate? Like, what are her actual opinions and thoughts that she's been keeping very quiet until this point? Um, mm. So that's my very long summary. Well, I mean, it's <laughs> so interesting because at the, you know, at the end of every episode, I ask, you know, the people that we interview, what's one rule in the Jewish Iranian community that you've broken? Mm -hmm. And what did you gain from breaking that rule? And what did you lose from breaking that rule? And it sounds to me like the rule <laughs> you broke is turning a hobby into a <laughs> career and then leaving L.A. to pursue it. Yeah. You know, going against the grain of, you know, even the idea of questioning your parents' ideas or beliefs yeah. or rules is breaking a rule, you know? So I think that's amazing. And, and it sounds like, you know, you lose a lot. Like, it sounds like you dealt with, like, a lot of separation and conflict and peace in your home. Like, that was the loss mm -hmm. for a while. But I'm curious to know, like, how that relationship with your family has evolved throughout your career and... You know, I, I myself, I'm a psychotherapist. I have a lot of Persian Jewish clients who are in their early to mid-20s who are struggling with, like, I want to be an artist. I don't want to be a lawyer. I don't want to be a doctor. Like, what do I do, you mm. know? And so I'm wondering, like, is there anything f that you would want to say if they're listening right now? Yeah. You do lose a lot. You do. However, um, everything is a balance. Everything is a cycle. So what you do lose is just space for what you gain you gain mm. a lot and things do change and things do grow of course people can choose to grow with you or they can choose to grow in a different direction so like um what you said before my relationship with my family during my career I think like they would still give me phone calls while I was studying at Berkeley saying you know you can always come back home right you know you don't have to finish this right mm -hmm. and when I did come back home I had a homecoming show that I organized and I invited them. I mean, of course I invited them. I was like, you can't come to my show. No. <laughs> so my family for the first time in a very long time um, was in the audience. And I think a lot of people sometimes not only need to see you do your thing, see you in your element, but unfortunately also need to see other people, how they respond to mm -hmm. you. Because, like, I think my parents, they would say it. They're like, we know you have a beautiful voice. Like, we know that you're talented. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean anything's going to happen for you. That doesn't mean other people feel that way. And they came to my show, and we had a really beautiful turnout. And I don't know, by the end of it, there was just a look on all of their faces. I think they just saw it. Yeah, I think it made sense. Finally. Yeah, they yeah. saw the way that I carry myself on stage they saw the way that the audience interacts with me and how I interact with them and I think that was just like they processed it it was that mm -hmm. aha moment of like ah I get what she does now and yeah. I get that it works yeah. and that was the opportunity once they understood I tried to make them understand in so many ways but you never know what it is that actually does click yeah um, so once they did understand there was a lot less questioning and a lot less doubt I mean they're still like now they just say things like 
on the side. They're like, in addition to your music, <laughs> can you do this? Can you find the husband? Can you da, da, da? <laughs> not like instead of because they're like, oh, she's never gonna forget about that. We know this now. <laughs> so yeah, so there's that. But like, I I can't. I definitely lost my old family. I lost my old self. Mm-hmm. But I have a new version of my family, and I have a new self, and it's just kind of like when you choose to give things up, it gives you the opportunity to really evolve it. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you are ready to see what the future has with your passions, stuff like that, then. I am a firm believer in the people who are meant to stay will stay. The things that are meant to stay will stay, and then the things that aren't meant to stay, they leave when they need to. I think everything happens for a reason. I don't believe in forcing anyone or anything. Um, so it's kind of throwing hell into the wind and just taking the dive and embracing the journey. Just knowing that I'm about to take a really make. I'm about to go on a really cool adventure. And I accept everything that comes with it. Mm-hmm. So I hope that's some something yeah. in there was some good advice for somebody because I know it's scary. There's we have a whole entire community telling us to be afraid because we don't have a lot of people. We don't have a lot of examples in this community of success in like maybe in the classical Persian music world, but not so much in like the American pop industry. That's so true. Yeah, I think a lot of us are just struggling, like sort of struggling with role models and mentors and just people that we can look up to that are badass. Yeah. And so I think a lot of it is in our generation about creating that for the next generation. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Um. So I really props to you for doing that, and I think it's amazing. I'd love to talk to you about a few of your songs um that i got a chance to listen to and some of the themes in there and this kind of goes well into the one that i want to talk about which is called the better mess which is also the name of your album Mm -hmm. and i know you mentioned that this song is about is actually about family even though people who hear it (laughs) might think that it's about you know a romance that's gone wrong so with that being said it's relative to almost any type of dynamic because it's about how we show love in relationships. And um, so I know you say love isn't always positive and (laughs) unhealthy love can blind you from existing traumas and toxicities. And sometimes love makes you think you should stay when in reality it's time to leave. So Mm. it's so interesting that you were able to recognize how very much sometimes the relationships that we have with our parents are reflected in the relationships that we have with our partners and they can feel the same when you kind of talk about them yes and and, um i think a lot of us you know the things that we didn't get from our parents the acceptance that we didn't get from our parents um the love that we didn't get from our parents sometimes we very unconsciously kind of seek that in our partners and you know, we're looking for the partner that will finally accept us and hold us when our parents couldn't. Mm -hmm. And so my question for you is, how do you sort of navigate conflict in your life with your family, with, you know, your previous relationships? And when have you noticed when it's time to walk away or create distance? Mm -hmm. This is without a doubt, like the most important song that I wrote because it hit me. Like I wrote it and I was like, shit. 
damn like i see it yeah i was like that was deep like oh my god and it's funny how like this line that's in the song love isn't always positive is the simplest sentence in the whole entire world there's nothing like poetic or lyrical about that it's just this statement that for some reason i just had never processed i was like love is not always positive it can blind you to like just what you said toxicity and trauma and so setting boundaries I think once I realized that a better mess is still a mess that was a big stepping stone for me kind of think of it (laughs) I had a funny analogy and I don't know (laughs) it made me laugh so you know that Frank Ocean song uh what is it a tornado flew around my room before you came. It's an old song. <laughs> anyway, it's like if a tornado, Frank Ocean, through your bedroom, and you just like, it's a complete mess. You spend half the day working to clean it, right? And then you have to go to bed, so you go to bed. And then you wake up, and you see the mess. It's a better mess than it was yesterday. But does that mean you stop cleaning it? I don't think so, right? We mm-hmm. would want to continue working on that now let's say you have like this is a great analogy I don't know how I just (laughs) like popped up in my head (laughs) like let's say you have a roommate in this bedroom of yours that has fallen to shreds or whatever it's exploded um and they're not pulling their part they're not helping you out it's kind of like I would kick that roommate out I'd be like, get the fuck out, man. You're just making my life a mess and you're not helping me. Mm -hmm. And then even if it gets a little bit better, you just go like, hope it's better now. Like, just be happy with the way it is. If this is our, if this is like an analogy for our relationships, there's so many relationships in my family in particular that I settle for that. It's like, no, it's a mess. It's still a better mess, but it, I'm sorry, it's a better mess, but it's still a mess. Is there such a thing as a better mess? I don't really know. I don't think that there is because mm-hmm. you, you're not calling it what it is anymore. You're kind of trying to use a euphemism for well, it. I think it's interesting. I think w- the underlying thing of what you're saying is like pick people in your life who are going to make your space more beautiful, who are mm. going to add to your life, who are going to help you maybe see patterns and themes instead of everything looking like chaotic in front of you and feeling chaotic and instead of them bringing you know all their dirty laundry into (laughs) your space and not cleaning up not contributing and so I think a relationship is very much a two-way street and ideally is kind of making both members of that relationship better people Mm -hmm. and when they're not it's something to look at yeah and really reassess and really it sounds like kind of answering my question of what you said of like maybe that's when it's time to walk away or have them leave exactly so like my boundaries I started understanding when I need to place boundaries uh when I understood that like once I see that these people are not putting in the effort to make our relationship better then I'm like I I mean I can't force anyone to do anything Mm -hmm. and it is a two-way street and I'm not here to do everything for all of us And so, yeah, like that's why with my romantic relationships, with my familial relationships, business relationships, all of it, if I see that you don't want to put in the work for us to be happy together, then it must not mean that much to you. 
So I don't want to, I can't exhaust myself. I think either it doesn't mean that much to them or they're just not They're capable. unable. Yeah. 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 I think there's so That might be reasons. unfair of me to say. No, but, <laughs> but I mean, yeah. yeah, sometimes it is that, you know, mm-hmm. and it's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. Um, t- and like, it takes a lot of balls to kind of admit that. Don't walk away when I'm talking to you, babe. I don't want to waste another is one more try I never wanted us to fall asleep we keep on fighting inside my dreams I'm waking up to all the words and warnings in my head my back keeps whispering that it could be all over don't pretend another happy end take your things while you still have a chance my bears whispering that you're being walked over Don't pretend you're coming back again This bone will never be a better man This kind of takes me into the next song that you have called Faking It. And um, when I saw the title, I'm like, what is she talking about? Like orgasms or like what's, <laughs> what's going on here? And the more that I read about it and listened to it, it was really interesting. <laughs> and I think, you know, some of the things that you mentioned is that... Um, it's not our fault if we're simply not made or meant for some people. Um, even if we wish it was otherwise, I think you mentioned we may try to force um, something to be what we want it to be, um, but that's not real. And right. it's kind of like we're fighting against nature or we're faking it. And so your definition of faking it means going against what your mind and body really wants to do or say or think. And when we stifle our truth, we just perpetuate the problem. I, I love that. So beautifully <laughs> said. Thank you. Um, so I think, you know, and this was kind of your advice around the song was like, don't fake it. The truth is simple. It's healthy. And it's only hard in the beginning. Mm-hmm. What has it taken for you to become more honest with yourself? Um, and what has kind of helped you come out of denial in certain mm-hmm. situations? I think... The end goal is what inspires me the most to try to be honest with myself because I just, I didn't like being, (sighs) when I was a kid, I used to, I honestly used to think this. I'm like, God could not have put me here to be upset. This is impossible. Mm -hmm. Like someone made a mistake (laughs) because I mean, my life. Is life supposed to be um, a battle? Is it supposed to be something that you survive? You're so right. Like, I've gone through this before, too, where I'm just in a situation where I'm so, so miserable. And I really just was, like, talking to God. And I was like, am I I supposed? I don't think I'm supposed to be this miserable. Like, I think our emotions are actually really smart. I think our bodies are really smart. I think our guts are really smart. And they are, they are wisdom. They are, they are our way of really knowing what's right for us and what's wrong for us. So if we're feeling anxious or forceful or Mm -hmm. sad or depressed or angry, it's probably a sign that we're in something that we're not supposed to be in. And that doesn't necessarily mean you break up or you run away, but it means that something needs to change. Yeah. It's an indicator that is trying to grab your attention for some reason. And because I knew that, 
I didn't want to be unhappy or scared or whatever negative emotion for the rest of my life. I'm like, okay, so we need to find solutions, right? So that's when I was like, okay, what is my solution to getting better from this situation or from this trauma or feeling whatever it is? And it always seems to trickle down to, well, let's first analyze everything. And once I would analyze stuff, it would help me funnel the truth out. I think there's so much there's so much bias that we have when we tell stories even to ourselves, like protecting people, protecting their reputations, trying to defend, protect ourselves. Mm-hmm. They're like faking it. Mm-hmm. Um, Getting defensive. Yeah. Passive aggressive. Yeah. It's really just, it's all defense mechanisms because we think we apply these defense mechanisms because we think if we don't, we're not going to make it. We think that like, this is what I need to survive for tomorrow when in reality this is just perpetuating the problem Mm -hmm. but once you sit down and like come to the root of the issue and realize the truth like this is why I'm actually sad this is why I'm really upset or why I freak out when I don't know this thing triggers me really understanding the root of it helps you once you identify it you see it then you're like oh The monster is really scary when you can't see it. Mm -hmm. Then when you can, you're like, "Ah, Mm ah, there you are. Yeah. And then how can I heal this? a deeper meaning to your song faking it and it has to do with um a specific experience that you had with sexual assault Mm -hmm. and i would love to just have you tell us if you feel ready and comfortable a little bit more about that sure absolutely so i actually i was raised in a household where sexual assault is the girl's fault 100 percent. what does she do what happened uh, somehow she asked for it. Um, but I don't think anybody asks for that kind of like invasion or anything. And I unfortunately have had to deal with sexual assault in a few, um, it wore a few different hats in my life, but I had one experience with a very close friend of mine. Uh, and I th- I do truly believe that it was not on purpose. It was not to like assert dominance or to hurt me or whatever. Um, I think it was lack of awareness and education that this is 
I'm invading someone's boundaries right now. Um, but it was with an Iranian. And so I had a lot of, one of the reasons I loved this friendship was because I felt so comfortable with him. I hadn't been with, I hadn't had any Iranian friends in Boston for a really long time. And then I found one and we got along really well. And I loved hanging out with him. I loved everything like the food we got to eat together, the conversations we got to have, speaking in my Fenglish, you know, my Farsi English and stuff. Like I felt at home with this person. And uh, one evening things got out of hand and, and I did say no and I did uh, try to communicate. Like I genuinely don't think that this is what you're trying to do, but I'm uncomfortable and we have to stop. And he like physically fought with me twice it was terrible like I think about it now it was just so traumatic and so scary but for some reason the next day everything was fine I genuinely did not allow myself to process that I just experienced sexual assault with a very close friend of mine who is like family to me and I was raised with this belief that like no it's the girl's fault so I was like what did I do and he's Persian, so, like, he probably thinks, like, my family as well. Like, it couldn't be his fault. And I also was never put in a position where I could question men and yell at them or stand up to them and defend myself in front of men in this community. If this was a white guy, 100% would have condemned what he did, 100% would have gone back to my apartment and talked to people about it. Mm. But I was like, no, 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 no these are my people nothing happened what do you mean it was almost like I was looking at myself in the mirror like winking being like you know you can't say anything about this and it was kind of one of those like but what would people think moments that we have in this community I'm like who do I become if I've been sexually assaulted what would people think I can't tell my family like what it's gonna be my fault and they're going to feel like the family name is tarnished. And like, all, it becomes this whole other, whole other animal that has nothing to do with your feelings even. So you just be, you're taken out of the equation completely. And so what I ended up doing was I just faked my way through it. It never happened. Nothing. I still went to class with him. We still texted. Everything was fine. Um, my breaking point with him was actually he asked me to do his homework for him. And I was like, fuck you. All you want is to use me for whenever you want me around. And anytime I say no to you, you don't listen to me. This is not a friendship. I don't know what you think this is. And that was it. It was over. I'm like, and it's funny that it was the essay. It was his homework <laughs> that yeah. pushed me. But yeah. it's because I don't think I could process the other one I couldn't mm -hmm. process the assault and then once I wrote the song that was the first time that I actually admitted to myself what happened that night mm -hmm. and I mean you can't it's kind of living blindly is really scary yeah in you're denial. in denial but once it once I finished the song it's like someone took the blindfold off and I could see, and what a gift it is to see, you know? Mm -hmm. That's when you can start healing. Mm -hmm. And so when I wrote this, I realized how scared I had been every time a man walked in a room. 
Like I had completely transformed because of that. And since writing that song, I have gotten way better. Not saying that the song was like the key mm -hmm. to my growth, but it was the starting point. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, like I, we also shot a music video for this, which I hope people go out and see because it's a big labor of love. And we were, I wanted to do a dance choreography to kind of, um, embody the event and I told Yai the dancer um, like I want this to be aggressive I want it to be physical like do not hold back and the rehearsals that we had were like fantastic it was great good vibes good energy like we were really having a good time he left the room I got in my car I was having an anxiety attack yeah, of course. and I was like shit yeah yourself. I didn't realize that I, I like my brain knew that no, this is just a dance. This is a rehearsal. This isn't real. Yeah, but this, trauma is emotional. Yeah, it's in your body. Exactly. Your brain can't logically yeah. like be like this is all fine. It's real. <laughs> and <laughs> I was raised very hard headed. I was raised well, maybe that's not the right way. I was raised very much like rub some dirt on it. You don't talk about your feelings or anything like that. So it was when I started admitting my truths and my feelings and stuff, that was really hard for me to begin with, but it's still hard for me. Like I still work on it. And just recently in the past year, calling things, calling this, like, um, like I'm able to label some things as trauma when it comes to um, family stuff or maybe some friendships and things like that. But just recently I, give myself some uh what's give myself some credit when I get triggered for sexual mm -hmm. assault um because before I was like you're being a baby Ashley you you're not strong enough yeah. yeah like just grow from it so now when I do get affected when I do have like an anxiety attack I'm like okay sit here take a breath recognize why is this happening mm -hmm. and so I would sit I sat in my car I'm like shit okay so it was the dance it put me back in that place. All right. Let's just, I just talked myself through it. And luckily day of the shoot, I didn't feel a single thing. And I think it's because I took the moment to recognize that my reality and my trauma were melding at some point and sitting down in the car and talking myself through it helped separate the things. So I wasn't associating the choreography with the actual activity that happened like a few years before that. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just so important to sit down and whether it's writing it out or just thinking it through to just really Yeah, or meeting take with a professional. Yeah, doing absolutely. Called, you know, I, I do this in my practice. It's called EMDR. And for those traumatic moments or experiences or triggers that just feel like too much to mm -hmm. deal with on your own or you feel like you just keep looping through the memory and you're not making any progress you know, we use certain skills and techniques to help people be able to really process that stuff because trauma is not something that many people can talk themselves out of. It is very much a body experience. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think that's kind of what we help with as well. Yeah. And I, it's interesting that you say this because I think sexual assault is a huge thing in our community. I think this is why, you know, when we were kids, our parents were like, don't sleep over. You're not allowed. Yeah. And like, so I think, you know, that's a, it's huge. And um, it isn't really talked about. And there is a lot of messaging around like where, well, what was she wearing or what was she, you know, did she 
whatever you know maybe she just regretted it and now she's making it a whole thing and whatever all this bullshit and so Mm -hmm. i think it doesn't even have to be sexual assault It, it i think women do this to themselves all the time where we kind of dismiss things or we tell ourselves we're not allowed to have a voice mm-hmm. um and so it's because of the shoulds of the community because we're we think we're supposed to come off a certain way as persian jewish women and so it's really important to recognize like when are we in the shoulds when are we in the persona and like yeah. what is it that we truly want to be doing mm-hmm. i mean even as something as small as like you know um the other night i was like um out to dinner with with a guy who was on a date and he was like um just you know being disrespectful to the waiter and i i I got really uncomfortable and the waiter got really uncomfortable and i i just didn't say anything Mm -hmm. in the moment and then i went i went home and i'm like what just happened like why didn't i say anything and it's like, oh, because I thought I had to be, like, the quiet, timid, like, <laughs> Persian girl who doesn't yeah. say anything and, like, be respectful of the man and his manhood and not, like, get him upset. 100%. And, and it was like, no, like, there are so many choices. There are so many options mm-hmm. for getting out of the people-pleasing and the persona and the shoulds. And so I really respect you and thank you for having the courage to bring up this dialogue and this conversation because i think this is something a lot of women in our community and men are dealing Mm -hmm. with and so um you know i hope that when people find you after this episode that it's okay for them to come and talk to you about it and speak with you about it. absolutely yeah and a big thing about my music i call it dark pop because it's in the pop what's the it's in like the pop soundscape but the content within it is real it's real life and these are i'm, I'm trying to make it easier for I people your, i love your music because thank I'm you like, oh finally someone's talking about <laughs> something important after so long <laughs> well, <that's, laughs> yeah pop good music go it's i back. know <laughs> there is pop has become so, so superficial and vapid and there's a whole community of kids and teenagers or whatever population that listens to pop and gets no emotional release like the way they might with rock music or with R&B or EDM. Like with pop, it's like, oh, you want to heal? You want to talk about feelings? This is the wrong place for you. And so I wanted to create a space where I make it easier for people to digest this stuff. I think it's kind of like speaking things into existence. You know, you keep repeating it in your head and you finally start to understand it and so i'm just making it catchy to uh, essentially brainwash everybody <laughs> that's all i'm doing yeah <laughs> just brainwash you into having a healthier happier life that's what i'm here for <laughs> thank you thank no you problem for all the brainwashing. <laughs> <laughs> my pleasure <laughs> i'd like to kind of also talk about this song that i've heard you play live which is my boyfriend Ooh, yes <laughs> and yes, it's yes, yes. fucking amazing <laughs> it's so good um <laughs> and i think it's you know i know it's one of your more popular songs mm. and i know you mentioned that you are that you have difficulty with being sassy or witty or mm. um, biting 
you know, kind of biting back and being honest out of, you know, fear of maybe being shut down. Mm-hmm. And like them gaslighting you. That's yeah. oftentimes what would happen. Yeah. yeah. And so I think a lot of women struggle with this. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of, <laughs> like, I moved to New York for school and I became such a sassy mamacita. And then it was time <laughs> to come back. And I was like, who is going to hold this shit? Like, yes. Who is going to oh be able God. to, like, handle me now? <laughs> um, not that I, I'm not, not that I meant to be handled, but like, <laughs> it's, in, it's just interesting because. <laughs> I think a lot of us are scared of this part of ourselves yeah. uh, or we hide this part of ourselves and we let that part of ourselves sort of dim or we try to quiet it down. Um, but what I love about this song is that it's all about like, you know what? You have no right to be in my life <laughs> unless you're willing to like celebrate all of this. Yes. <laughs> what I love is that this you know, r- song really empowers people to come together and proudly shout that they will not be belittled and Mm -hmm. um, they will not accept someone, you know, who doesn't accept them. And in, if anything, they will laugh in the face of anyone who tries to belittle them. So I love that. You say that even though we see love in the movies, that doesn't mean we have the sudden cinematic courage to boldly defend ourselves in the heat of the moment. So that scene in the movie where like she throws a drink in his face and she's like, fuck you, I'm out of here. (laughs) I think we all want to do that, but that's like super unconventional. And so what I love is that you said, you know, this song gives people that chance. It lets them redo and reclaim moments when they were being walked over. Mm -hmm. And that's so interesting because I also imagine that writing this song was healing for you and performing this song was healing for you. So can you... Maybe share a little bit about how singing and songwriting has just changed you or helped you evolve as a human. Absolutely. I mean, this song, that's a really astute question for this song. Um, Because for like the few months that we, I guess we're like experimenting as to what we were together, um, I held a lot in. And I usually, again, I'm a very communicative person and I just didn't when I realized that I wasn't being listened to I just stopped talking about Mm -hmm. it and then when shit like ultimately hit the fan and I was like okay this is over you're out of my life completely I wrote this song in a like record-breaking five minutes wow it was like this song was ready Yeah. yeah and every single line I don't know how but every line of the song is 100% true. I didn't edit anything to make it like fit lyrically. And it rhymed so damn That's well. Beautiful. I don't know. It's like my brain was working on it from day one. And it's like the divine in you. Was swear. Just like yeah. Paper and was like, <laughs> it was Thank crazy. You for finally listening to I- me <laughs> and giving me a voice. <laughs> I'm like, this bitch, what is she doing? She's <laughs> like, we need to wake her up. Um, and when I looked at all when I looked it all over essentially and I saw everything on paper, it was a huge wake up call. I was like, wow, I went through that. I let someone do that. That's insane. Why don't I like myself? Mm -hmm. And it was a, I mean, that was a big sign that maybe not as much as I thought I did, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like if I can, um, that's so interesting. So yeah. songwriting has been like a mirror for you. Absolutely. Every single song on this album has awakened some sort of truth that I just can't go back on. Like I see it now and I, I can't 
let guys talk to me a specific way. I can't let people, I don't let people try to manipulate me with friendship or with love or whatever. I just see it for how it is. Mm -hmm. And um, songwriting, I mean, ultimately I make music to help other people observe their realities and see like, just find their truth and see what do I want to do about this? How am I going to heal from this? But in the very elementary stages of it, it's I'm writing for me. I'm sitting in a room somewhere probably dark and by myself <laughs> with a piece of paper and a pencil and a keyboard. And I'm like, something's wrong. And I don't know what it is. And I just start thinking and fiddling. And oftentimes... I don't know what I'm about to say, but as I work through it, as I keep changing words around and stuff, then I'm like, ah, okay, now I understand. And it really helps. It's a great vehicle for me to to reach that truth and reach the realization. So songwriting is it's kind of like journaling. a diary. Yeah, yeah. journaling, and which I'm yeah. a big fan of. I it's love so to journal. because I used to work in the prison system. Oh, and wow. I worked, so I worked in a jail for three years and I worked with a lot of juvenile delinquent Hmm. teenage men and or boys um, (laughs) a lot of them had trouble kind of sitting down and doing traditional talk therapy with me but there was so much obviously going on internally Mm. in their worlds so and they would come alive when they would be rapping or writing you know like a rap song or something so I would just kind of you know, pose a question or a theme in our sessions and they would start, you know, writing rap and writing, you know, lyrics and then they would be able to perform it and they would be able to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And it gave me such a lens into the world. Um, It's funny because some of them are like, I'm not going to write rap unless you write rap. So you should see some of the weird shit (laughs) I wrote during that time. (laughs) What an ultimatum. Oh my God. Yeah, but it was so good. And it's so (laughs) crazy because you think you can't write or you think like Mm -hmm. you don't know how to do this or you're not a songwriter, you're not a poet or you're not a story writer or screenwriter or any of these things. But when you start writing, like you never know, it all can kind of just come out of you. Absolutely. So... Really cool. And it gives you so much ownership once you make these realizations and you make it in a way that you're proud of too. Like I'm able to own my shit and say, yes, this did happen. And I can tell you the whole entire story Mm -hmm. in a way that I'm really proud of. And also empower those who are now listening to do the same or to do better. Mm. You know, it's amazing. My boyfriend doesn't argue with the wait staff because he ordered decaf. No, my boyfriend doesn't blame me for his antics, melodramatic tactics. No, my boyfriend doesn't make me put a bra on, even for a restaurant. No, my boyfriend knows what he wants and says what he means, knows how to talk. Takes the front seat, watching me drive, but snatches the wheel right in time. I guess that's why you're not my boyfriend. So tell us about your song, Everybody Knows. Ooh, damn. Well, that's actually perfect because Everybody Knows was written about the same person uh, from my boyfriend. My boyfriend's like the comedy and then Everybody Knows is the drama. (laughs) 
So it's like the really serious take on mm. how everything ended. You were saying how like he was, it sounds like was kind of talking shit about you. Almost, yes. And like yeah, yeah. So there was some strange discourse going on between him and some of my old friends. And my friends know me. They know who I am. And they don't really know this guy who suddenly thinks that they're all buddy-buddy. And uh, they kept, every single one of them kept saying this thing to me. They're like, it's as if he doesn't know, but everybody knows. Everyone knows what happened. And this line was said to me so many times that I was like, interesting. Even when people are trying to speak ill of you, falsities don't make it. They just don't. Truth is what triumphs. Truth is what comes out. Um, and it always comes out. And so I wrote this song that was an apology letter to me because I knew I was never going to get one from him. I, I thought I found closure with my boyfriend, but I didn't. And I was like, I need an apology. And so it's funny because 90% of the song is also a lie. Because it's not, it, it's in his voice, but this is an apology that never happened. Mm -hmm. Every single line did happen, but I'm singing in his voice. So it's all fantasy. It's not real. But at the very end of the song, the music and the lyrics completely shift. The perspective shifts. And it's like this angry, loud, in-your-face, like, dance anthem all of a sudden that completely abolishes this fake ass ballad that was right before it mm. which it's like when the truth comes to light we all of it just goes all the yeah, lies I mean, just go I away so many times listening to the song ah thank you and it's so interesting because i think especially as persian jews being in a in a community where we see each other around all the time and reputation management is mm. such a thing for us this song hits in such a way where <laughs> sometimes after a breakup, there's a lot of noise from family, from friends, from the community, and everybody kind of wants to know, like, why did things happen? Why did they break up? Why didn't it work out? And um, feeling the need to explain yourself or that people put all these projections of their own stuff onto you. Yeah. And it's such a shit show sometimes. It's so <laughs> difficult. And it's so, like, I think, I think you know, all different backgrounds and societies and cultures kind of deal with this on some level or another, but we really deal with it on a different level. Absolutely. And I think it's so cool that you wrote this, you know, letter of forgiveness that you needed as a reminder of the truth for yourself. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like sometimes we think we need the other person to apologize to us, but the truth is we need to apologize to ourselves for the shit that we put ourselves through yeah. in that relationship yeah. and dealt with and take responsibility for our part too, mm -hmm. you know? Absolutely. Um, so I think that was just really, really cool. Really amazing. <laughs> thank um, you. It's a I special. Everyone goes one. and listens to this because it's awesome. So thank <laughs> you so much, Ashley, for of joining course. us. And I'm <laughs> curious to know, when is your album coming out? How can people get more of you, follow you, get all the good stuff? Ooh, the sassy stuff. My album's coming out on October 27th. Woohoo. Yay. A fantastic Tuesday for everyone. And you can get more of me musically anywhere you stream music. I am everywhere. You can't run. You can't hide. I'm it's always there. Ashley Zara. Ashley Zara. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's Z-A-R-A-H. 
I always tell people it's like the clothing brand, but with an H at the end. Yeah. So, (laughs) um, (laughs) and then you can find me on social media everywhere. I mostly go by Ash Zara. We can be friends. Yay. Talk. So excited (laughs) for you. Thank you everyone for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to screenshot it and tag us at Chaya underscore community. Share what you learned from this episode. And we can't wait to see you guys next time. Love you. I'm acting like I don't know how I treated you. But really I remember it hurts just to recall the way you begged me to prove that I needed you. But I just bit my lip. Let's you cry in the hall And when I walk into the room I'm seeing pictures of you Painted on the faces of your friends that I knew And when I walk into the party Their eyes are always firing me down Everybody knows who I am Everybody knows what I've done and it's clear nobody here wants an explanation everybody knows who i am they all know why we were and i don't blame you for telling the world now i can't blame you for what i deserve which is what i do i was pointing fingers when i needed a mirror getting drunk when i wasn't high when i should have been up all the and I was calling you names and making you bitter But you never took me down, not even once And when I walk into the room, I'm seeing pictures of you All pasted on the faces of your friends that I knew And when I walk into the party, their eyes are always firing me Everybody knows who I am, everybody knows what I've done, and it's clear nobody here wants an explanation, everybody knows who I am.